Welcome back to the Conclusion of the Matter podcast. This is Ryan Weaver, one of your hosts. I'm here with co-hosts Robbie Santiago and Ren Ferguson. Um, we want to welcome you to our um, next episode, I guess. I was going to say to our humble abode, but that really doesn't apply here. But welcome to our gathering of great minds, I, I would say. Um, That's generous. <laughs> You know what? Got to have a little confidence, buddy. Anyway, um, as uh, Solomon wrote, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And if you're just checking in with us, and this is the first time listening to us because some people don't go in order, we just pick some biblical topics and just chit-chat about them and bounce some ideas around. We take you know, re- requests and whatnot, but uh, I'm going to kick it over to Robbie, and he's going to introduce us to today's uh, topic. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, and like Ryan mentioned, we just pick various biblical topics, and then we talk about them for a while, and then at the end we say that's it, uh, <laughs> but in a slightly different way, named after the podcast. Uh, but today we're going to continue a series that we pick up every now and again called Book Report. And we realized um, recently that we had done a book report on First Peter, but then it had been a while since we picked up Second Peter. And so we thought it would be a good time to do the next installment of Peter's epistles. So that's what we're going to be looking at today is the book of Second Peter. Um, and you guys don't have anything to open us up with, and we'll just go ahead and get into it. Sometimes mm-hmm. we tend to run long at different podcasts, so we're just nah. going to go ahead and get into it so that we uh-huh. don't waste any more time. So uh, verse 1 there in Second Peter 1 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our our God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as divine power has given us or has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And obviously, Peter. Uh, Similar to Paul, he'll kind of give a little blurb in the beginning that sometimes is really easy to overlook, but I wanted to point out in verse 2 where he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, Um, but um, without being in Christ, um, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 where Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So all spiritual blessings come through being in Christ, but sometimes we overlook the, that the peace that we have and the grace that's been bestowed upon us by God, several different other spiritual blessings. Later we'll talk about virtue, uh, but all of those things come from Christ and from God, and even he alludes to that in verse 3 that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So sometimes mm-hmm. we overlook some of the little introductory things because can be somewhat repetitive where Paul will open up and be like, hey, grace and peace, guys, what's up? And then uh, actually get into the meat of the actual letter. But 
That kind of awesome. sounds like the Cotton Patch Bible. Yeah, a little bit. We uh, <laughs> we were experimenting with a few different uh, translations, some of which um, are a very little disrespectful. Yeah, some of but which take are a little quite more a bit appropriate. Liberty, yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you can look at those on your own time if that's something yeah. that you're interested in. Uh, but to go with what you were just saying there, Robbie, because you were mentioning how the grace and peace come through God. Uh, again, in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think it's interesting because in both of those passages, he tells us how that's where, done or where. Or where. Yeah. In verse 2, he talks about in the knowledge of God and of our Lord, and of Jesus our Lord. And then in verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, which again would be God through Christ. So he's given us all of those things. He's given us grace and peace, and we continue to grow in that grace and that peace, and we grow in those things that pertain to life and godliness ultimately through our knowledge of who God is, who Christ is, and uh, and the word that he has given to us. And I think your your point there in verse 3, I think some the simplicity of it is that the Bible— the knowledge of Christ, God's Word, has the answers to how to live a godly life, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. what it is, right? And, you know, the when we introduce this, the, the whole responsibility of man or mankind is to fear God and keep His commandments, and keeping God's commandments is partially knowing, you know, what He expects from us and how to live a godly life. And we shouldn't say, well, I don't know, I don't know what what God thinks about this. Yeah. And and you can, you know, there are things in society like internet and things like that that they didn't yeah. have, but you can fit everything into some kind of category. principles yes, at exactly. least to help us through those situations too. Yep. Right. And another kind of separate point there, that word multiplied I thought was relevant too because the more we grow mm-hmm. in the knowledge of God and Jesus, the more spiritual blessings that we're going to experience from yeah. God. So right. I think that's, you know, another encouraging reminder as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else on the first few verses? Um, yeah, real quick, the the uh, precious, the, you went through five, right? Yeah, the precious promises. I mean, talking about how precious the promise is, not over salvation, but everything else we've been promised, it's something we should not take for granted and something mm-hmm. we, should, we should covet and we should, you know, really take care of it and and share it i think is what we would do if you if you find something valuable or precious what do we typically do we share that news say mm-hmm. oh guess what i found or guess what mm-hmm. what happened to me we want to share that and i think we should do the same thing with the gospel kind yeah. of reminds me of the parable of the hidden treasure how you know when you find that you want you know you become do what very joyful yeah. about it mm-hmm. you rejoice yeah. and i even focus kind of at the end of verse 4 there uh, well, I guess just really the middle of verse 4, that through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So when we've talked about this a number of times, but when you focus on worldly things, it's going to lead to you know problems. It's yeah. going to lead to that corruption that this world's talking about. And also through lust, um, I had also thought that was a decent comparison with how James talks about in chapter 1, kind of how a lot of our temptations are because of the things that we seek after and we're not really yeah. focused on God. It's through our own lust, our own desires. So um, I think him and James are kind of making a similar point here. Yep. Okay. Anything else that you guys had on that little opening section? No. We can okay. go ahead. Um, and I was also going to mention in verse, verse uh, 2 when we were talking about growing in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that's kind of a good prequel to what he's beginning in this next right. section in verse yeah. five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. There's that word knowledge. To knowledge self control. To self control perseverance. To perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness and a brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll pause there. Um, the New Testament and in, in Galatians, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit and other places, bring up kind of similar list yeah. of different <clears throat> qualities that God expects us to grow in, to yeah. mature in, and to take on, and also kind of a contrast list of different characteristics that we need to get rid of, particularly right. in First Corinthians and in other places. Um, but this is one of my favorite ones because you can really see um, like a very specific list, like start with this, and then when you've grown a lot in this, add this on. And then it really gives you... So when you go um, from faith, you know, believing who God is, then add knowledge. So become more knowledgeable about who he is, what he expects of you, what the commandments are. And then the more you know God, the more peaceful you that you're going to become. So that self-control and then that perseverance through trials, all those things lead to godliness, to brotherly kindness, and ultimately love. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks a lot about love being the most important thing of all because you can't separate those things from God's nature. But you can't have love if you don't understand faith or if you don't mm-hmm. understand knowledge. If you don't have those things, um, if you don't have self-control, yeah. you're not going to have love in the end because love is uh, is kind of the culmination of all of these different things. Yeah. yeah. I, I just had three quick things there. Number one is diligence. Do your best. Yeah, it's your right. responsibility to try your best to do this. Number two, something you alluded to is adding to. It's not a replacement. Uh You just don't say, okay, well, I'm getting rid of patience. I'm just going to focus on this. I mean, you may focus on one to grow, but you don't get rid of the others. And number three is, going back to what you said about growing in the knowledge, here the responsibility is growing in these attributes. He said if Mm -hmm. these are yours and they are abounding or continuing to increase, that's Mm -hmm. what's going to be pleasing to God. Yeah. Wanted to go to your point, Ryan, about not like discarding one of these in favor of the other, to me, that's kind of the idea with that word supplement, at least in the ESV there in verse Mm 5, to supplement your faith with virtue. And every time I read that word, I immediately think of, you know, like pharmaceutical supplements like protein powders or Mm -hmm. amino acids, creatine, all of those sorts of things that you can take from different pharmacies or like GNC, other things like that. And their, their whole purpose is to give you those some fundamental things that maybe you're not getting enough of. And so he's saying supplement your faith. Your faith is the foundation. It's mm-hmm. the it's the Christ is our cornerstone, but as for what we're talking about here faith is like that foundation. And we should add to that all of these things that he's listening here because it strengthens that faith, it builds upon that faith to make us as we've already pointed out in verse 8 to make us effective and fruitful in the knowledge of Christ. <clears throat> okay. Anything else on those before we move on, guys? Mm-hmm. Okay, good point. So verse 9 is where we'll pick up. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, there's that word again, diligent, mm-hmm. to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I always thought that verse 10 was kind of election. Be all more diligent to make your call and election sure. If we have these qualities, you know, that's those qualities that were listed above in the previous verse. I think it's interesting that Peter uses that same word diligent here. So be diligent to add these things. But in that diligence, you're going to make yourself more assured of eternal Mm -hmm. salvation if you have those things. But also on the flip side of that, in the previous verse, verse 9, if you don't, then you're going to be short-sighted. You're going to, you know, be blind, and you're going to, you know, kind of forget what Jesus has done for you and called you out of that light, as 1 John says. Yeah, when I read... Uh, the ESV says nearsighted, and I, I'm I'm nearsighted, <clears throat> and without too. my glasses or contacts, I can't even see the big the big E going up on the chart. I don't know if you've even got that far. The big on. what? There's a there on the top. There's an E. Oh, on the really? You yes, like the I'm like, biggest I'm like four, Yeah, I'm like twenty four. 24, 25 yeah. or something. Well, I don't, like that. I don't but, have glasses or but anything. The point, so well, I don't know. But the point there is without without the aid of my glasses, I would be blind to the point where I wouldn't. I mean, I can, if, if the closer I get, I can kind of yeah. make stuff out. But yeah. I, I'm like here saying, man, he's saying that if you don't have these qualities, number one, you can't see ahead and you can't see. And he's talking spiritually speaking here. If you can't see ahead, you can't plan. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you're going to be bl- blindsided, I think, and and not ready for something. And this verse reminds me of James talking about the person who looks in the mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. Here he's saying, you you can't even see it. You forgot what your past was. Right. And I just find it interesting that um, you know without these qualities, people aren't having that focus on what they need to have their focus on. Yeah. And the the thing that really stands out to me with verse 10 especially, all of those things y'all pointed out, and I think, are you reading from the New King James, Robbie? I was. In the, mm-hmm. in the ESV, the last part of it says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Uh, the idea of, of, you know, practicing them, continuing in them, always developing those qualities, if we do that, then we'll never fall. It's not like, kind of going back to what you were mentioning a little bit ago, Ryan, it's not like, well, I practiced self-control today, so I can check Check that one off off. the list, and then I'll just kind of ignore that. No, you have to continue in all of these things in order to make that calling and election sure, which also, which we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in Chapter 2, that implies, all of this is implying that we can forfeit our salvation. Yep. Mm-hmm. If we fail to practice these things and we forget that we've been cleansed from our former life, we will fall, as he states in verse 10. Right. And I had kind of also thought of that word of blindness. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Matthew 15, 14, when he says they are blind leaders of the blind. He's talking to the Pharisees, yeah. and in context, he's talking about how it's the things that come out of our mouth that kind of ruin us, that yeah. defile mm-hmm. us. And, if, I mean, if that isn't true today, then I don't know what yeah. is. And there's an old phrase, I forget exactly how it goes, but something like, for out of the mouth the heart speaks. So sometimes, like, the things that are truly in our hearts, sometimes we just, you know, can't help but say and mm-hmm. express some of those mm-hmm. things. Sometimes there are words and sometimes there are actions. But then in verse 14 of that chapter, they are b- blind leaders of the blind, and that the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. I mean, flashing forward to uh, Second Peter there, he's, I think, making 
kind of a similar point there that if if we don't really grow and we stay complacent and we don't remember all of the mm-hmm. spiritual blessings that Christ has given to us, then then we're blind. And yep. you know, blind fall into a ditch <laughs> if they're led by another <clears throat> blind person. Yeah, I wanted to add something to what you said, Ren, there where you know the ESV does say practice and I don't want somebody to think that that's like we think a practice of oh, I'm going to practice this sport or something like that. This is talking living it. Like you think yeah. about um, yeah. a law practice, that's their livelihood, right? And that's that's what this is. You got to live it. Now, do we mm-hmm. have to work at it and practice? Yes, but it's not something that that we shouldn't. You know, it's, it's, a part it's of really our it's really game day, right? It's it's not because some people relate practices. Oh, it's not. You don't put as much effort into it as you do. Some people do, but other people. It's not game day. We're just doing a walkthrough today or something like that. But this is game day. Right. Right. I think it, like the point you're making just reminds me that it's got to be kind of like a part of our nature, a part of our identity, a part of who we are. Yeah. Okay. Anything else that you guys had through Mm -hmm. verse 9 there? Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and my thing's timed out here. Okay. um, So we'll pick up in verse 12 here. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Um, So... Again, kind of what we were just saying, that it's got to be a part of our identity, a part of our everyday lives, and we can't neglect that growth that we really need. And even like this list, you know, once we obtain love, you know, the list doesn't end there. There's various other qualities that we also need to put into practice as well. But what thoughts do you guys have in this whole section? Just that, you know, the he says, I always try to remind you, which tells me that when, you know, you may be like, man, we just talked about this. We just did this yeah. in class a month ago. We just, he just, Ren just did this sermon on this same topic three weeks ago yeah. or something similar. Yeah. It's like repetition's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and he's getting his wish. Well, his, not his wish, but his, he said, I'll make every effort so that after my departure, speaking of his death yeah. there, that you may be able to at any time recall these things. And guess yeah. what? By the, by the grace of God, this has been preserved that even, we can at any time reflect on this and be reminded and recall these things, right. which I think is really cool. Right. And even going back to our earlier point there in verse 10 with the term practice and it being a part of our lives, a part of who we are, with verse 12, I think it's interesting, he says, that he always intends to remind them of these qualities, though they knew them mm-hmm. and are established in the truth that they have them. So it's evident to me, maybe not everybody that received this letter, but a lot of people that received this letter were already practicing all of those things, but even then, Peter is still reminding them, yep. you need to continue in these things. Because sometimes when we think we have something Reached figured out, yeah. we mm-hmm. begin to neglect it, and then we start regressing in that area. And so Peter is saying, I'm always, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. Like the old phrase, if you ain't growing, you're shrinking. Yep. So anything else in that section, guys? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, just yeah. one point, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, interesting point there in verse 14 where he talks about, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. That's a reference to John 21, verses 18 and 19, whenever Christ tells Peter, uh, in essence, 
the type of death he was going to die, mm-hmm. that he was going to be taken away. They were going to drag him where he didn't want to go, uh, something along that yeah. that line. But that's what he's referencing there. And then he said, well, what about, what what about, about John? John? <laughs> and Jesus is like, that's none of your business. <laughs> I always like that. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, we'll go ahead to uh, verse 16 then. Uh, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory with such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Um, I think it's kind of just... You know, him reiterating what we already know that the apostles, including Peter, had various opportunities where they got to see the miracles of Jesus and his life play out. Um, the most common uh, common time that's, or the most well-known, is when Jesus is baptized in the Gospels, um, when, when God says from heaven after that, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So mm-hmm. um, clearly something that many of them were a part of, and we could spend some time talking about why Jesus chose to or could not have chosen to be baptized in that particular occasion. Um, but the point here being that Peter and many others were eyewitnesses to all of these different things. And so a lot of people will claim that Jesus either didn't exist or a person or that he wasn't the Son of God. Um, all There's just so many different people that witnessed all of these things, even outside of the apostles. Of his resurrection, you know, one verse says that he appeared to over 300 brethren at once. You know, you factor in all the apostles and even like historical record from Josephus and many others that, I mean, there's just an, a, a mountain of evidence uh, to confirm what what we read mm-hmm. about in Scripture. Yeah. yeah, and I think the interesting part here is he actually not only says, well, we witnesses, but he, he gives an example of the one, right, yeah. where he's talking mm-hmm. about the Mount of Transfiguration there which you alluded to the voice coming. I think you re- alluded to the baptism one, right? Right. Yeah, and in this one, you know, it Peter doesn't record it here, but it's recorded in the gospel. Jesus or God adds, hear ye him, yeah. mm-hmm. which is pointing to you need to listen to him now. And, you know, to your point, he said, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we were eyewitnesses. It's not something they made up. It's not something. I mean, would these guys literally go to their? That's the thing that yeah. impresses me. I think a lot is would these guys literally go to their death on a, a something they made up? Yeah, I, I think like human knowing, that they never contradict each other. Yeah, yeah, and human nature would be. I I would think to be like, okay, right. we were. This was we made this up. Yeah, don't kill me. Right, but yeah, like even if we were going to jail, like you know what? Yeah, uh, never mind. We were just kidding. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Really, yeah. Okay. Anything that you had on that section, Ren? Uh, not particularly. I think y'all y'all pretty well covered it. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and read the remainder of the chapter here in chapter one. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I think these this is kind of an important section because this everything that we we tell you guys about and what others speak about with scripture well not in all cases but 
um, especially the things that we try to bring about on this podcast, it doesn't matter what our opinion is or what somebody else said. What matters is that the scripture that we read about, that, that was not up to Peter, it wasn't up to John, it wasn't up to Paul. Mm -hmm. Those men were led by the Holy Spirit, Old and New Testament. So when we go back and look at the Old Testament, the authors, Abraham, or, well, not Abraham, but Moses, um, later in the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, all of these different Old and New Testament men, they were sent and moved by the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit, and it wasn't just like their reflection or their opinion on what happened. They were the ones that were being led by the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mm -hmm. matter, according to verse 20 here, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not somebody's opinion. This was what God specifically had these men transcribe for us to read today and to confirm and to establish um, the New Testament, especially in yeah. that case. What thoughts do you guys have on that section? Uh, well, I mean, just going back to the first part of verse 19, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And it seems to me what he's saying there, coupling that with what you just mentioned, verses 20 and 21, that because of the things that they witnessed throughout the life of Christ, including the Mount of Transfiguration, not limited, not limited to that, of course, but because of those things that they witnessed, that prophetic word was fully confirmed to them, knowing, of course, that Jesus was the Messiah. And I think that, again, verse 20, it's not up to someone's own interpretation. It's not that everybody can can think of this and have their own thoughts and have their own views on this. God prophesied something, and it was objectively applied to Christ and, it, and Jesus specifically, and it could have only applied to him, and that could only be the one true interpretation of it. And so he's saying we have all of these things confirmed, of course, by the things Christ did uh, throughout his life. Right. And you think of how many different uh, prophecies there were of Jesus, specifically like how in the world would Jesus be able to control the very place that he was born, his his lineage and the parents well, and he, blood relatives that I will, he was born I will in. stop you there. He could because he was God. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But even like... But if he weren't God... Correct. He yes, couldn't have that's kind of the that. point that proves... Yeah. Um, I think there's like... I believe it's, depending on the source that you look at, 360-something prophecies about Jesus alone not counting yeah. like historical prophecies and other things. And they could be things about Jesus, about his birth, about what he did in life, his death, obviously, all these different things. And the fact that he fulfilled all of those is just astronomical. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, statistically impossible for even, you know, like five or 10 of them to come true. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there's generously over 300 of them. Yeah. And I think this these verses, you know, it it doesn't contradict it it matches other verses. You got Paul talking about all scriptures mm -hmm. breathed out by God mm -hmm. and then in Hebrews chapter uh one at the very beginning he says that God spoke to us in various ways and yep. first by the by by the prophets and now through his son. Yep. And how did he speak to us through the prophets, through the writings of the prophets, and then and he spoke directly to people before. But I mean, there should be no question where prophecy came from. To your point, I think there's a verse that you've alluded to in the past about how you and you could tell a if a if a prophet's word came true, or something along those lines. That yeah, you know what I'm, I'm referring the, to. I think it's Deuteronomy 18. Well, I think it's interesting that a lot of the counter-argument against like, the New Testament writers is that they collaborated 
And, you know, number one, there's no way that they would never have contradicted each other, first of all. And then second of all, how are they going to collaborate with some of the Old Testament writers who had who already been dead? Thousands of years, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, they, it's not like they had, like, computers or anything to get all of these different, like, resources and things. It's all, you know, some of it likely being even oral tradition uh, to a degree. Obviously, the Old Testament, New Testament, drastically, drastically different. But, you know, Paul couldn't have, like, gotten Abraham on the phone and be like, hey, what was that that you wrote about like a few years ago? <laughs> or you he know. couldn't even. I mean, he could have. He could have like found the scrolls, but it's not like they had search yeah. capabilities and and Google. You know, like I can type in something verse related to this, and it's mm-hmm. like I get instant get right results. Right. But but still, I think human nature would have been to elaborate a little more, or I don't know, maybe not elaborate, but make the story a little more, you know, compelling to embellish to it. embellish. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, a little more dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That verse was Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22, because that's in the context of when Moses was talking about how God would raise up a prophet oh, like greater him. greater than him, yeah. And in verse 21, he says, If you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? And he says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need to be, You need not be afraid of him. Okay. All right, well, I guess, are you guys ready to go on to chapter 2? Yeah, sounds All right. good. Sounds good. Um, well, I'll just read the opening verses of chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way tr- of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. It's kind of Ryan. We've been talking a lot in our Wednesday night class about the about First John. Yeah, I mean, false teachers like so many of the teachings throughout the New Testament warn of false teachers, and almost always it's that they deny who Jesus is mm-hmm. or the lifestyle that you have to yeah. to live in order to serve Him. And you know, this kind of being no exception and. A few things that stuck out to me was just kind of the consequence that's or the effect of what's going to happen. You know, it says swift destruction, many will follow their destructive ways um, at the end of verse four, and their destruction does not slumber. I mean, you know, any any time that false teaching is talked about, it's clearly a serious matter about uh, about the num- sheer number of times that it's brought up in the New Testament, but also each time that it's brought up. You see that oftentimes, maybe not the word destruction, but you see kind of the effect that it has on that individual, but also on the church. And so um, I even kind of go back to kind of the growth that we were talking about in chapter one, that it's important that we grow in all of those things, because Mm -hmm. if we don't grow, then these kind of teachings are going to be off, you know, they're going to catch us off guard, just like the warning that Peter and then John also gave. Yeah, I think the one thing I have in my notes is that Continuing from chapter one into chapter two, he's kind of saying, as we get further along, he's he's saying you can be confident in what you've been taught and not persuaded by these yeah, folks. Exactly, and it's very similar to Paul's message to the the Galatians there in chapter one about how quickly, quickly they, they have left. yeah they've gone to another gospel, which is not another gospel. But he said if another if anybody 
even including us, the, ap- yeah. the apostles or an angel from heaven, present a gospel contrary to what we've already taught to you, let them be accursed, right? And here Peter is saying, we didn't come to you with silly, with silly myths. We came to you as yeah. eyewitnesses, and now he's getting into there are going to be false prophets. There have always been false prophets, and you can be confident in knowing what you've been taught is the truth. Yeah. And these people are going to face a destruction. Right. And and to me, the the thing that's always stood out to me, at least with the first part of this, is their method. Because he says that they will secretly bring in destructive mm-hmm. heresies. And in writing this, and I think he mentions what you just mentioned a moment ago, Ryan. I think he mentions it in... It might be in chapter 3, towards the end of chapter 3. I can't remember now. But in essence, he says at some point that he's writing these things so that when those false teachers arise, they won't be led astray. Uh, because those teachers, they come in, it's secret. They they lean people away yeah. little by little. Verse 17. Mm-hmm. And not <clears throat> all at once. They don't come in and blast it. They aren't brazen with it, at least not at first. It's always very gradual, very methodic, very mm-hmm. well thought out. And he's saying those people are going to come out even from among your own selves, denying the master who bought them. So it's not like these false prophets are coming from Jews or pagans. It's coming Internal, from Christians, yeah. yes, that's going to lead them astray. And even kind of what we had talked about our podcast Jude. on the antichrist oh, too yeah. you know they yeah. come out from, they came out from among us <clears throat> yeah. sorry ryan no yeah. i was just going to say that, that similar to the book report of jude because jude is very similar to this message but it's always been prophet if you want to say prophesied when paul met with the the F, the elders from ephesus yeah. he said they were going to come you know from among from them the, yeah. the sheep and wolves clothing mm-hmm. is that right sheep yeah. no wolf and sheep's clothing i knew it didn't yeah. sound right a wolf and sheep's clothing you don't want a sheep in wolf's no, clothing. I guess we don't not. want either don't one. Want either one. <laughs> yes, but but the other one wouldn't do much good. So well, even later in in Ephesians in chapter five, after he basically kind of makes the point to imitate Christ and kind of another similar list of things that we should put off and not have associated with us: filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. Um, he says, "Let no one deceive you with empty words." That's kind of like similar language that Peter says here, both are kind of making the point that there's going to be people that are going to try to persuade you of something mm-hmm. that's not true, yep. and we need to be mm-hmm. on our guard. So, Well, and this also, this all, this whole section, going back to what you mentioned, Robbie, about how these false teachers usually, they departed based on what they taught about Christ, but also what they taught about, in essence, morality. And it reminds me of, of Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, and that idea of, you can do whatever you want. The more sin you commit, the, the more better. grace you're going yeah. to receive. And it's like that mentality that they're bringing in of it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. You can indulge in all of these things, which he gets into describing more of that later. But, I mean, that's always the ploy, it seems like. And that's because that's what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. They want to hear, I can live, I can I could be an alcoholic or a drunkard, I can, you know, fornicate and do all of these other things and still have a clean conscience, and that's why... Yeah, because, I mean, we talked about it in the past. The the Gnostics taught that anything in the flesh was evil. Yeah. Couldn't do anything about it. So, yeah. I mean, it's like... Might as well. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I mean, that's the ultimate excuse, right? I can't control right. it, so... Right. So, But I think the Bible is contrary yeah. to that by, by clear, you know, anywhere yeah. you go, you're going to yep. see that you can't... 
what's the definition of self-control? Having control over yourself. Right. So yeah, exactly. I, I even verse three by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive mm-hmm. words. You know, any any of these false teachers and even false teachers today. You know, they're going to use big words. They're going to make these big promises, and they're going to make it sound real good. And then they follow. Right. Uh, or, well, not they, but and the, greed the crowd part. follows. Yeah, yep. the that's what I was going to point out. That's yeah. their motivation yeah. for mm-hmm. all of this yeah. is their own greed. Uh-huh. Uh, that's like Romans 16, 17, and 18. He says they, the don't, they serve their own bellies. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're doing it because they, because they get <clears throat> something out of it. Exactly. And you look at, you look at the televangelists of today, I mean, I don't know if anybody listening to this listens to Kenneth Copeland, but, I mean, you just look at Kenneth Copeland, and with all due respect, the nonsense that he spews, Mm -hmm. like whenever COVID was starting to become an issue and he was getting up there and he was blowing COVID away, that didn't work. Guess what? I guess he's not a prophet based on what Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, but they do that because of their greed, and he is... And he's just an example, one among many, of so many people who are immensely wealthy yep. mm-hmm. because of their false doctrines and their prosperity gospel and their gospel that they teach, in essence, where you can live how you want to live and still be in heaven. It's That's their motivation. Absolutely. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we go on to verse 4? All right, Uh, I'm going to read a little bit further just for the sake of time. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the whole world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So big section, what thoughts do you guys have? In essence, I think the major point here, and I think it will continue throughout the rest of the chapter too, is they're not going to escape the judgment of God. And he gives a number of examples to support that point. Obviously, the first one, the angels, he didn't spare the angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to change of gloomy darkness to be kept until uh, the judgment. And obviously, you know, typically we think about when Satan rebelled and the angels, who whichever ones followed him, and obviously there's so much to that situation that we just don't have revealed to us, but there certainly seems to be that indication that there was a point in time where they all rebelled against God. And he's and Peter is saying, if God didn't even spare the angels when they sinned, in essence, mm-hmm. what do you think he's going to do to you? Mm-hmm. Not going to spare I, us. No. I think the what I get out of it is that the key verse to me in that section, verse 9, is the then we can take confidence in the fact that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly yes. from mm-hmm. trials or temptations, depending on your version, 
And that word there means a putting to proof, experiment, experience, experiment, put a temptation in front of you. You think about Lot. Now, Lot chose to be where he was, mm-hmm. right? And it said it tormented him day in and day out. But apparently he was still righteous, and he didn't sin in that capacity, and God mm-hmm. gave him a way out. He sent the angels to get him out, right? Mm-hmm. And then Noah, we know he preached righteousness for 100-plus years, and he was rescued because he was righteous. Now, does that mean we're going to get a miraculous rescuing yeah. here? Not, no. Not it no. just means that we're going to be rescued when that time comes. Right. Right. It, and even it reminded me of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which we've res- referenced on here before. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Though kind of making a point more about like spiritual trials and things, but I mean, when we live in a life surrounded by people who do sin and uh, kind of make that kind of the norm, and mm-hmm. we kind of are feel like outsiders, kind of like Lot must have felt, not to the same degree, I wouldn't mm-hmm. argue, uh, but God's going to take care of those who love Him and and do His will. So, And I think the examples that he lists here about Lot and about Noah, I mean, there's so many throughout the Bible that we could point to if we sat right. down and looked at them all. And these are also particularly the one about Lot and about Sodom and Gomorrah are often used to say that God is not merciful because of what He did to Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood by, you know, mm-hmm. you know, getting rid of an entire, you know, the entire world of people except for the eight. Um, but also on the flip side of that, it's a reminder, you know, of God's nature and especially God's nature of love because of how he, again, to your point, Ryan, rescued all of those who were righteous to him. Right. Yeah. So, anything else that you guys have to add to this section? Um, mm, I don't think so. Verses 10 and 11, I think, are interesting, though. Uh, because it talks about those who indulge in the in the lust of, of defiling passion and despise authority. I think New King James, King James that says government there. The ASV says dominion there. And I guess there's a number of different thoughts, but I, the general thought is these false teachers obviously blaspheme and pass judgments on some, of course, focus more so on the governmental authorities that God has established, as we see in Romans 13, and they pass those blasphemous judgments on them. But then he contrasts that with verse 11. The angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. And that's Jude 1 and I think Mm -hmm. verse 9, where it talks about Michael when he was contending with the devil of over the Moses's body. He he didn't pronounce a blasphemous judgment. He just said the Lord rebuke you, and so it shows that presumptuous nature and characteristic and attitude that they have, and also judgmental, blasphemous, just very arrogant, very arrogant. Yeah, I kind of think of the word me monster. Yeah, because they uh, you know again they're kind of all about themselves. It says they despise authority. That's exactly what I was going to say, Robbie. Is that what where Rim was at arrogant. Arrogant people despise authority yeah. because they don't want anybody right. telling them what to do. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the opposite of humility, which um I think it was in First Peter where it says God resists the proud but gives yeah. grace mm-hmm. to First the humble. Peter five, yeah. Exactly. So okay. Any other thoughts that you guys had? I don't think so. Well no. um as prophesied, no pun intended, we have become a little bit long winded. Uh so we're gonna make this one a two party or two parter. Two-party, I guess, however you want to look at it. Uh, We're having a blast here. So uh, we're going to make this a two-party, and you can listen to part two 
in next week's episode. But as for part one of Second Peter, you can consider this the conclusion, conclusion of, of the matter. matter.